Chapter 21, Part 1 Over the course of a few days outside Bothwell, Mao had learned that all of those she was traveling with were criminals. The charges ranged from arson to murder to theft. Most of them ignored her questions, or threatened her if she persisted past their silence. The only one who would talk to her was a woman named Reina, who had been arrested for breaking into several houses in the Kings, and Mal felt more like she was being pitied. Mal had explained to the girl that being blind did not mean she was stupid as well, but that seemed lost on Reina. She had given herself some hope when one of the prisoners said he saw a Coleman ahead, but the wagon had gone off-road, taking a forest path around the east border of the city. The drivers had not stopped since Bothwell, so they had to resupply soon. If nothing else, she hoped they would stop to clean out the back of the wagon. The stench of human waste had to be just as offensive to the drivers at this point. Mao was beginning to rethink her decision to turn down Haviland and Umbrunsway's rescue back in Bothwell. The drivers did stop the wagon, but it was in the forest outside Calment. There was a river nearby, and they had decided it would be the ideal place to clean the wagon. The guard informed them that if they tried to flee, they would be beaten to within an inch of their life and then drowned in the river. You aren't sold yet, you animals, the driver yelled, giving Mal all the information she needed on where they were going. Milan was the only country that dealt in slave trades. No doubt they would be sold as slaves or laborers or whatever role the Linnese royalty needed for a given occasion. They were pulled out of the wagon and chained together by their shackles. The manacles around their feet gave them just enough room to shuffle about. The driver bound and locked the chain around a tree near the river, telling them they were free to do as they needed, while the driver got a bucket and proceeded to splash out the back of the wagon. The guard took an apple out of his satchel and sat down to eat. Mal sat down near the bank of the river. Thankfully, she had been the last prisoner bound to the wagon, so she only had one prisoner bound to her, the thief. She rinsed the ice-cold water over her feet and ankles, stretching her joints. Then she laid back on the shore, stretching out while she could. She fell asleep before she knew it, not having realized how exhausted she was. She was roused later awakening to the sound of Raina's voice. Come on, get up. They want us to get back in the wagon and moving, the woman said. What is it? You sound quite chipper all of a sudden, Mao said. Oh, you missed it while you were asleep. Some fancy dandy on a white horse. He had a cape and a hat with a feather in it and everything, replied Raina. Did he say his name? Mao asked. No, or if he did, I didn't catch it. He spoke with the driver. They seemed to argue over something. Then the dandy rode off to the south. Was there anything unusual about the man? Mao asked. Well, 
All of him seemed unusual to me, Raina explained. Did he carry an instrument? I think he had a lute, kind of like this, Raina said, then began to pantomime playing, then stopped when she realized it would not do any good. Maybe he's one of those entertainment fellows that travel around and sing tales of heroes and stuff. Kind of off the beaten path, isn't he? Mal stated. Raina shrugged, never having been south of Bothwell before. Mal was curious to find out the identity. She attempted to ask the driver as they climbed back into the wagon, but all she got was a sneer and a slap, so she dropped it and climbed back into the wagon in silence. Horrible manners, she thought as she sat back down in the wagon. The guard came by and locked the back gate, giving it a good pull, then walked around and gave the word to head south. They traveled most of the day and into the night. Mal was rested from her nap earlier, but she missed the ability to stretch out after having tasted it. She heard the snores and regular breathing of the other passengers as they nodded off during the night but she kept awake, listening to the sounds of nature going on around her, letting her mind wander to better times. She then felt the warm sun on her forehead, signaling dawn, when the occupants of the wagon started to wake. There was the morning ritual she had become accustomed to, of some cursing, awaking to realize they were still imprisoned, as though they thought it had been a dream. She'd planned to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they had been imprisoned under similar circumstances to her own. But the story these people told painted a much harsher existence. She had dropped her false pretense of innocence, as the crowd seemed disgusted by the idea of being locked in with some old woman to begin with, let alone one lamenting her crimes. She was guilty of practicing science, anyway, at least as far as the law of the country was concerned. Raina mentioned that they appeared to be back on the road. They were on a long stretch of hills, with woods and low mountains to either side. Mal surmised they were heading to Arthen's Hill. Long ago, a knight of Ramza named Arthen had fought off waves of Lanny's spellblades, waiting for reinforcements to arrive. After the War of Lieges came to an end, Arthen settled down and built his home on the hill where he had fought his last battle for his country. After he passed, followers of Arthun came to give tribute, and some stayed on. Years later, a town had grown out of the handful of men and women that had moved there. Now it stood as the last large source of commerce before reaching the Milan border. When nightfall approached and Raina said that she saw the glow of city lights, Mal's thoughts were confirmed. Arthens Hill was an unusual dichotomy of people desiring rural and more civilized living spaces. As such, there were small family cabins that dotted the landscape, with a wide fence serving as a loose guide to the city borders. If war ever came again, it would be invaded and taken, but as luck would have it, war had not returned in decades. The wagon came to a stop at a tavern right inside the city's perimeter. They were left locked up in the wagon while the driver and guard paid the owner, showed their papers of transport, 
and then went to find rooms for the night. The stable master offered some food to the prisoners, but the guard declined for them. Soon enough, she again heard the quiet sound of snores coming from the wagon. Mao turned her head, trying to discern the direction the whispered voice had come from. Avalyn, she said, thinking she recognized the intonations. The one and only, Avalyn replied. Now, have you had your fill of your extended vacation, or shall I leave you around for a few more days? I believe I'm quite ready to be gone, she replied, her voice weak for a moment, so glad that she was to hear her friend. Very well, then, Haviland said, pulling his hands out of his pockets, revealing a small glass vial and a little metal can with a funnel. First he removed the stopper from the vial, then tilted the padlock on the wagon until the keyhole was facing up. He poured the contents of the vial inside, then let the lock swing back to its hanging position, careful not to spill any of the liquid. Mal could hear a light fizzling sound, like a fuse being lit only quieter. You're not doing something dangerous, are you? She asked. Beyond springing you? Always. I blame him, Brunsway. That man attracts trouble, Havlin said as he lifted the small can to the pins of the wagon door, squeezing oil onto the swivel points. He does hang around with you, Mal replied. Exactly my point, Havlin pointed out. The lock made a click as the insides melted away enough that the crossbar came free and the latch hung open. Havlin slipped the padlock off the bar, then swung the gate open, the greased hinges swinging open in silence. Lift up your hands a bit, Havlin instructed. Mal obliged, lifting her shackled wrists. Hold these steady and try not to move or I'll likely burn the hell out of you, Havlin told her. Where did you find acid? Mal asked, recognizing the acrid smell. Well, Brunzoy and I brought Oz up to speed on what happened, and he gave me some. Said it would help. He had to show me how to use it a few times, but yeah, I get the gist of it. How is Oz? Oh, you know, finding better ways to build things, then better ways to blow things up. What about the others? Erica, Christian, Jenner? Well, if you listen to what the king says, they're dead. But, Havlin added, if you listen to what the king says, you're dead too. Havlin turned Mao's wrists a little, then withdrew another vial, spilling little droplets of acid onto the bolts holding the shackles closed. That's horrible, Mao said, a hint of despair. Actually, it plays out quite well. I doubt there'll be much pursuit once I break you out of here, since by the king's own admission, you're dead. But what of the others? Well, Umbrunsway is sneaking into the castle to look for Erica, and he's... You let Umbrunsway sneak into the castle? Mal said. Havlin raised his hand to his lips and made a shushing sound. Save it for when you're bored from each other's company whilst enjoying freedom. Once the shackles came loose... Havlin asked Mal to shift so that he might do the same to the chains on her feet. What about the rest of them? Havlin asked. 
I can't do a clean job as this, but I can probably melt through the parts locking them to the inside of the wagon. Mao had been wondering that herself. Some of the people deserved to be here. But not all of their crimes were severe. Some no worse than the crimes she had been accused of. We leave them. Some must see to their own fates, and we can't risk getting caught. I dare not risk waking one who becomes too noisy and draws unwanted attention. As you wish, Havlin said, helping Mal out of the back of the wagon once the locks on her feet were done. Then Havlin pocketed the melted lock and spare shackles and produced another from his pocket, replacing the one on the door. It was not an exact match, and the key would not work, but he was hoping they would drive off the same as they drove in. It would provide a little more time in any case. All right, Mal, this way to freedom, Havlin said, taking her hand and leading her over to the stable where his white mare was kept. Ever ridden before? he asked. No, but I know how to hold on. Now, help me up, please. Havlin hoisted her up, then he climbed up into the saddle. He pointed the white horse toward the exit, and then they slipped out into the night. Easy, Jez, Havlin said, patting the horse's head as she neighed, trying to nip his fingers. Won't we get stopped at the gate? Mal asked. This is Arthens Hill, Mal. It's surrounded by a fence. If they don't let us out, we're just going to jump it, he said as they rode towards the east. But don't worry, they know me down here. Bit of a following. Really, Mal said, sounding surprised. How do you think I was able to sneak into the stables for so long without any kind of interruption? They're not going to get in trouble for helping free me, are they? Mal asked. Don't worry about it. Take it from someone who spent some time locked up as a criminal. Nobody pays any attention to you, and nobody cares what happens to you. Ever the kind word, Mal said, chuckling. The east gate was unguarded, the fence only drawn closed but not locked. Havlin slipped off and opened the gate, leading Jez through, then closing it behind him. Definitely the kind of place I want to retire to in my twilight years. A place you can leave your gate unlocked and unguarded, Havlin said as they rode off into the night. I can't say I cared for it much, Mal added. Oh, it grows on you. And, you know, you didn't really see it from its best side. Remind me, and I'll take you back here sometime. You know, we even have a, they even have a festival named after me here. <laughs> You're kidding. No, really, Havlin said. Did I ever tell you the time I saved Arthens Hill by uncovering a plot by the former mayor to swindle them out of their taxes they'd collected for the season? I don't believe so, Havlin, no, Mal said, surprised how fast a smile returned to her face after the last few days. Well, it was springtime, back when I was a much faster, younger man than I am today, Havlin began, as he steered Jez along the road, entering the woods east of Arthens Hill. Mal grinned, listening to the bard's tale. I'm telling you, something is up with his majesty's advisor. I swear I saw him grow a foot tall before my eyes the other day, a guard said, 
walking down the second floor hallway of the castle. You must have been drunk. I saw Linus himself this morning, and he looked as he always did, said another guard. No, I mean, I mean, I saw someone shorter, and then I saw him grow to be the size of Linus. Were you drinking on patrol last night? The other guard asked. Well, yes, but it's always been, you know, of the hour. Gareth, you're a fool. The old man is ancient. You probably just saw him up, standing up straight. I suppose. It was so strange, though. The two guards continued their journey down the hallway, passing several busts of past Balthon kings. They reached the end of the hall, then hung left, marching toward the barracks entrance. After they left the hall, a smile appeared in the shadows. Umbrunsway stepped forward, peering around the bust he had just hid behind, looking to his left and right. He then slunk down the hallway the guards had just come from. Like a ghost, he drifted down the hallway in absolute silence, stopping and turning his head to the cross hall, cupping his ear. He then moved to the right and ducked, slipping back into the shadows. Three guards came around the corner, talking about the day's drills, the intense routines they were being put through after that near escape the other day. They mentioned no names, but Umbrunsway got the distinct impression they were talking about Jenner from the way they described the escape attempt. Once they passed, Umbrunsway turned right at the crossway, then ran down the hall. He saw the stairwell up to the northern spire, but then saw torchlight spilling down the spiraled steps, heralding the approach of more guards. His eyes darted around, then spotted the archbeams overhead from which the lighting hung. He sprinted, then made a half-jump, half-step, placing one foot on the sill of a window, then pushing off, springing into the air. His fingers found the overhead beam, and he scampered up. He let out an exhalation of air as he heaved onto the small bar, wincing when he heard it creak. A few particles of dust fell down, sliding to the carpeted floor below as the guard stepped out of the stairwell and into the hallway. Umbrunsway froze, realizing that they had a better chance to spot him from down the hallway. But the two seemed to be more involved in checking along the hall than looking up. They passed under him and continued on down the way. Umbrunsway tilted his head around to watch them go, until they were near the end of the hall. He rolled off the beam, landing on his hands and feet like a large jungle cat. Then he moved forward, standing up as he went taking the steps two and three at a time. He slowed as he reached the landing for the third floor, but no one was about. He continued his ascent until he passed the fourth floor. The stairs then continued upward for several dozen feet, before he heard the sound of voices ahead. He slowed his climb, coming around the steps until he saw a hallway ahead. Creeping up the last few steps, he lifted his head over the lip enough to spot three guards sitting around, gambling with dice. The hallway was only ten or so feet long, with a door with sliding panels. It fit the description of the room he had overheard the cooks talking about in the kitchen. He saw only one other door, off to the right. 
on Brunswick crouched down, then threw himself forward, running full out at the guards. He was on top of them before the guard facing him looked up to realize what was happening. What are you? The man started before Brunswick smashed into the man, pinning him between his weight and the door, knocking him unconscious. The man on the left got up in shock, yelling out, then stumbled backward over his own stool. The last guard was quicker to recover, hand going to draw out his sword. Umbrunsway released the man from the door and grabbed the third, head in his hands, then slammed his forehead into the guard. Umbrunsway was rewarded with the sight of the man's eyes crossing before he blinked and fell over. Umbrunsway heard a ragged cry of help from behind him. He turned to see the guard that had tripped over his stool falling backward toward a window. The man reached out to the side for the window frame, but scraped it with his fingers. Umbrunsway moved to the man. He reached out for the man's hand, managing to grasp the tip of the guard's glove, which came off as the man fell backwards out the window. Umbrunsway stuck his head out. He saw the man fall a few feet before the guard let out a terrifying scream. Then the guard's body slammed into the third-floor courtyard, hitting the cobblestones with a loud crash. Umbrunsway watched as guardsmen scrambled around on the fourth-floor watch rail, followed by guards and servants rushing out to the third floor. Umbrunsway frowned. He moved over to the panel door and tried the handle, but it was locked. He looked at the prone guards around him, then sighed, gripping the handle and pulling. Part of the stone frame came loose as he yanked the door open, bringing the locking mechanism with it. Inside, he saw the startled form of Erica sitting up in bed, wiping her eyes as she looked at the large shadow filling the doorway. Um, Runsway? she said through a sleep-filled voice, rubbing her eyes in disbelief. Umbrunsway grinned, his mouth forming a wide smile in reply. Umbrunsway, Erica said, almost crying, dashing out of bed and running over to him, throwing her arms around the large monk's waist, her hands not able to encompass the man's sides. He patted her on the shoulder, giving her a moment. Are the others with you? Are they here? Erica said, looking past Umbrunsway, then to him. The monk sighed and shook his head. Do you know where they are? she asked. Umbrunsway nodded and offered her his hand. She took it and followed him out the door. As they moved into the hallway, Umbrunsway leaned over to pick up one of the unconscious guards, tossing him over his shoulder. They could both hear the sound of guardsmen coming up the stairs. Umbrunsway went first, motioning for Erica to follow behind him. When they sounded close, Umbrunsway hefted the man on his shoulder down the steps. They heard cries and screams below as the prone body collided with the men coming up the steps. Umbrunsway charged down after it. There was a cluster of three guards tangled up with the body. He kicked at each one, knocking them unconscious or inflicting serious injuries by stomping heads. He then kicked at them, further pushing them down the steps. Two tried to grab Umbrunsway's feet, but he was too nimble, pulling back before they could grab or using the hold to fling them further, shaking them off like one might kick manure off the bottom of their shoe. He cleared several feet of the steps until he realized that Erica was still far behind him, 
navigating the steps in her bare feet. The stairs were also very steep, and she was having trouble taking more than one at a time. He turned and ran back up, then stomped back down with Erica over his shoulder. He leapt over the pile of guards and continued running down the stairs. He was nearing the fourth floor when he saw two more guards coming. He shifted Erica from his shoulder to cradling her in his arms in front of him, then spun about and flung himself back first down the steps. He winced as he felt the bite of steel against his back, but he landed on both guards, crushing them against the steps under his weight. He flexed and bounced off the ground where he flattened the two men, then kicked his legs up and twisted until he was up and running down the steps again. Umbrunsway slid Erica back to his shoulder, then moved one of her arms to the other side of his head, and she brought her arms together around his chin, riding on his back. Another pair of guards came up the steps. This time Umbrunsway leapt forward, bringing his feet down on the top of the first man's head. The guard behind thrust forward with his blade, but Umbrunsway jumped to the side, using his momentum to slide along the outer wall, clubbing the man in the head as he went by, then dropping down to the floor once he passed. He shifted his hands back to hold Erica's feet, and barreled down the last few steps. When they reached the landing to the fourth floor, dozens of guards were assembling, so Umbrunsway kept moving. Echoes of guards from down below caused him to take the third floor when they got to it. Another guard just entered the stairwell as they were exiting it. Umbrunsway headbutted the man, dropping him to the floor, maintaining his run as he took off down the hallway. Four guards, two with pull-arms, were coming toward them farther down the hall. Umbrunsway ran on, reaching back and taking Erica into his arms again. One guard aimed and swung out with his pole-arm, trying to trip Umbrunsway. The monk shifted to the right, taking to a window ledge, as he shifted Erica to his right hand, then leapt up and grabbed one of the overhanging support beams with his left hand and set Erica down, lifting his feet at the same time as swords swung and whistled by underneath. He then let go and looked down, landing and going into a slide as another polearm thrust out above his head. The two polearm men worked in unison, jabbing at him Brunsway, keeping him on his toes. He dodged, dancing away, and smacked the shaft of the weapons aside with his palms. One of the men attempted to stab Umbrunsway's foot, but Umbrunsway hopped, bringing one foot down on the blade, then slamming his other foot on the pole, snapping the blade off the weapon. Then two swordsmen came on, when the man with the broken polearm fell back. They flanked with the third guard on each side. The next time the polearm came at Umbrunsway, he sidestepped, then grabbed the hilt right under the blade and pulled it with all his might. The guard came forward, taken by surprise, his grip tight on the weapon. Umbrunsway grabbed the man's hand that was holding the weapon and twisted the man's wrist down to the side. The swordsman came on, but Umbrunsway positioned the man he was holding so that he was between Umbrunsway and the oncoming blades. One of the guards stabbed in, and Umbrunsway took the opportunity to skewer the held guard, then charged forward, throwing the pierced man into the guard holding the sword. The last guard lifted his sword, but Umbrunsway grabbed his arm by the wrist and wrenched it clockwise, snapping the man's bones. Umbrunsway looked up, spotted Erica, and raised his arms to her, 
She, sh she jumped down into his embrace. A hard kick to the kneecap of the man with the broken wrist, and he was down writhing on the floor, moaning in agony. Umbrunswe and Erica were halfway down the hall by then. Waiting for them at the end of the hall was nearly a dozen guards, and what it looked like to Mijir. Umbrunswe looked around, then turned toward one of the doors that led to the courtyard. Outside, guards were moving the body of the man who had fallen out of the tower window. Umbrunswe paid them no heed, running across toward the steps down to the second floor. He ran down one set of steps, but the guards were already appearing from the doors on the second floor. He turned away from the steps that led down to the next landing, and instead bounded across the heads of stone statues that were on display. He again moved Erica until she was hanging from his back again, as he hurled himself into the air toward a third-story window. The two of them flew through the air, and Umbrunsway flailed his arms, finding the lip of the window. His body swung into the wall of the castle courtyard, shaking him, Erica almost losing her grip, sliding down until she was hanging by one of his legs. Umbrunsway looked down, let go of the ledge with one hand, and reached down for one of Erica's arms. He pulled her free from his leg, gave a slow but forceful pull-up, and letting go the momentum propelling Erica up enough for Umbrunsway to grab the back of her dress, then gave her a light toss into the window, scrambling up the windowsill after her. Erica was rubbing her shoulder as he pulled himself in, surveying the area. They looked to be in a small study. Umbrunsway looked around, then scooped Erica back up as he ran toward the door. Not taking any chances, he led with his foot, kicking the door open. A guard was walking by on the other side and was bludgeoned into the wall as the door swung open and slammed into him. Sorry, Erica managed as she was jostled and shaken as Umbrunsway lumbered down the hallway. This time, Erica crawled up Umbrunsway's shoulder and swung around to his back as he continued to run down the hallway, turning left, then right. Do you know where you're going? Erica asked after a time. Umbrunsway shook his head. They went down another flight of steps, but Erica still did not recognize anything. Besides the entrance to the throne room, the only room she had seen was the one they had kept her in. Stop running, came a shout from behind them. Erica felt the sudden desire to stop, but had little say in the matter, as Umbrunsway continued on like a charging bull. Erica glanced backward and saw Geddon at the far end of the hallway, a retinue of guards following him. Hurry, Erica said. Umbrunsway leaned forward, taking large bounds with his feet. The hallway ended in a round chamber, a single boarded-up door at the back. Umbrunsway slowed his sprint, checking the windows to each side, but there was a flurry of guard activity. He ran up to the door and gave it a kick, but this door just shook on its hinges, the boards holding steady. He looked behind them to see the retinue of guards approaching. Geddon followed behind, taking his time. Hand the girl over, Geddon yelled. Umbrunsway felt an odd tugging in his mind, but shrugged it off. He picked Erica up and held her as he started to run towards the guards. What are... Erica started. But once he was fifteen or so feet from the guards, he did an about spin and started charging the barred door.
his grip tightened on Erica, and inches before colliding with the door, he spun about, throwing his back into it. There was an explosion of wood chips and stone flakes as the door was ripped off its hinges. Umbrunsway landed on the door as it fell over, and slid across stone cobblestones. The door jumped and skidded as it picked up speed. He kicked his feet out to either side, but the stones scraped at his skin. As they neared a narrow section, Umbrunsway tossed Erica up into the air with both hands as hard as he could. Erica let out a shriek of surprise, finding her, herself sailing above the ground. Umbrunsway then curled up into a ball as the door jutted up against the skinnier section. Umbrunsway rolled twice, then braced his arms and knees, skidding across the ground, shifted to his feet, and looked up. He dived a few feet forward and landed on his back, Erica colliding into him, landing on her butt on his stomach. He motioned for Erica to get up, then he sprang up, hoisted her on his back, and took off down the path. Looking around, he now understood what happened. They were not on a walkway. They were on an unfinished section of the castle wall. They were running along what would become the inside of the wall. Ahead, he saw that they were headed toward the outer castle wall. Behind them, the pursuit had slowed, none of the guards seeming eager to risk falling the thirty-odd feet to the ground below. Umbrunsway grunted as he focused every bit of energy he had left. The wall they were on was not complete, and was a few feet lower than the castle perimeter. It also fell a couple feet short from connecting to the outer wall, the mortar work not yet finished. When nearing the ledge, Umbrunsway stretched forward and propelled himself as far out as he could, arms outstretched, body horizontal. He thought he felt stone brush his stomach as they sailed over the side of the castle. As soon as they cleared the wall, he reached back and grabbed Erica, frantically bringing her around to his chest. He then brought his legs in and whipped his shoulders back. When they collided with the ground below, Umbrunsway landed feet first, then crouched and went into a roll, letting his shoulder hit the earth and then rolling over onto his back, digging his feet in and using the momentum to propel himself up, running as fast as his feet would carry the two of them, away from the castle and down towards Balthamel. Hello, and thank you for listening to the World of Grey podcast. For any questions about the podcast, or the books in general, email me at podcast at josephporthos.com. My two books, Fallen Throne and Dark Halo, are available for download on the Amazon Kindle store for the low price of $3 apiece. I don't output a ton of updates, but when I do release one, you can find it on Facebook at Joseph Porthos, or on my website located at josephporthos.com. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter, and I look forward to you tuning in again next time. This is Joseph Porthos, signing off.